0: good morning we have some announcements on Wednesdays we're feeding the homeless you're going and your sister wait what's when we're going to maybe after away. maybe after we will Wednesday or on Thursday this Thursday is the women's study 6pm here at the house This Saturday is the men's study, 9 a.m. here at the house. Next Thursday, the 14th, is youth group, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then emails, give us your emails, send you an update of what's going on for the week. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together to worship you, to learn more about you, your will, your ways, what you have in store for our lives, how you interact with us, how you lead us, how you guide us. I'm thankful for all the ways that you speak to us. I'm thankful for how much you love us, how you provide for us, how you care for us. Lord, I ask you would watch out for us this week, that you would open up those divine appointments that you have for us, that we would get the opportunity to speak about you and your son and the works that you've done in our lives. That we get to share that with someone around us. That we'd be a light and a witness to you. With the people that we work with. The people that we interact with. Um, that you would just guide us. Lord, I ask you to watch over this community. That you'd watch over this state. And this nation. That you would guide the leadership. That you would draw them closer to you. Help them to make the decisions that you want them to make. I pray all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are in Romans chapter 4, and today we're going to read through the whole chapter right off the bat, a little different than usual. So Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So here in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? For if good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that is not God's way. For the the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work their wages are not a gift but something they have earned but people who are counted as righteous but people are counted as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners david also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it oh what a joy for those disobedience Is forgiven whose sins are put out of sight. Yes. What a joy for those record the Lord has clean has cleared of sin. Let me repeat verse eight again because that one's important. Yes. What a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now this is the blessing. Now is this blessing only for the Jews? Or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses... If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life, who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, though at about the age of a hundred years, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. So I'm going to repeat verse 19 because that's another key verse here. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was faithfully, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him the one who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. He has handed over, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So, Romans chapter 4, Paul refers back to Abraham and takes a look at his faith, and that's what we're going to look at today. So we're gonna go back to Genesis chapter 15 and starting in verse one and we're gonna look at what is Paul talking about here with Abraham and how was Abraham made right with God? What was God's promise to Abraham? And did Abraham really have faith through through it all? You know, we read in verse 19. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. But we read here in Romans 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. And then verse 20, we read, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. So his faith never weakened, it says. So let's go back to, to Genesis, we'll starting 15 and look and see what God says what God promises to Abraham and what he says. Sometime later, so Genesis 15 verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, "Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great." But Abram replied, "O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no child, Eleazar of Demaeus, Dima- a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir? Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars. If you can, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Abram believed God's word. God spoke to him, told him what would happen. And Abram believed, Um, And God speaks to us still through his word today. Um, And we're going to fast forward. We won't read all of Genesis, but we're going to fast forward to chapter 17, starting in verse 15. Um, But what we're going to kind of fast forward through, what we're skipping over is that God promised not only these descendants, but also promised Abram the holy land for all of his descendants, that he would give him a special land. That his wife, Sarai, um, came up with this plan that they got older and they're going to help God out and they're going to have a child through her servant, Hagar, and that would fulfill God's plan. You know, they tried to figure, well, God must have got this wrong, so he needs our help. And Abram agreed. Um, and then we read about the aftermath and the turmoil that takes place between Sarah and Hagar. Um, Abraham did have a son through Hagar named him Ishmael when Abraham was 86 years old. Um, The Lord returned to Abram when he was 99, promising him countless descendants and to be the father of many nations. Um, And at that point, he changed his name to Abraham, making an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his descendants promising Abraham the Holy Land again, his descendants, that would be their possession forever, um, and marking this covenant with the sign of circumcision. And then we're going to pick it up here in Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. So then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father? At the age of 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So remember how we started in Romans and how we started in Genesis 15. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed in God, in God's promise, and God counted Abraham Abraham, as righteous because of his faith. But here we read um, that Abraham laughed to himself in disbelief and that he attempts to, again, solve what he perceives as God's problem is as, as well. Ishmael can be my son with many heirs and, and my descendants. So he didn't truly believe. He didn't believe without faith. But we read that in Romans. So um, let's go back and just look at that again and see how Paul ended Romans. You know, chapter four. So we just bel- we just read how Abraham didn't waver. He didn't have faith through it all. But here in Romans chapter 4 verse 20 Paul wrote that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise in fact his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises and because of Abraham's faith God counted him as righteous and when God counted him as righteous it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit it was recorded for our benefit too assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him the one who raised Jesus our lord from the dead he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with god so it was recorded for our benefit so that's that's important it was recorded for our benefit too to assure us that God will count us in right standing if we believe in him, if we believe in his son, Jesus, the work that Jesus did on the cross to take away our sins, um, that our sins will also be wiped from the record. Because here, Abraham doubted, we read that in Genesis, but here in in Romans, we don't read that, that the record doesn't show that. So what happened? Well, what happened in between was I would say to you that, that Abraham asked God to forgive him for his sin Jesus died on the cross who takes away our sins. In the Old Covenant, they would sacrifice animals, and those animals would cover the sins, but not take them away. The sins weren't removed until Jesus died on the cross. The perfect sacrifice to take away our sins. He removes them, and he removes them from our record, and God proves this. This isn't a contradiction in the Bible. God is proving what he said he would do by writing the record in Romans here through Paul and explaining that Abraham was counted as righteous. He doesn't look at Abraham's sins because they were forgiven. They were removed from his record. So that's, I mean, just proof that God does what he says he's going to do. Um, and it's the same goes for us. Our sins will also be wiped from our record. Um, So, you know, we read that, that, Abraham doubted and thought, well, Ishmael, he's going to be the, he's going to be it. And God reaffirmed his promise to Abraham. Um, and Abraham laughed at God and said, no, this just can't be. There's no way. God, you're not big enough to handle this problem. This is too big for you. And no problem is too big for God. It never is. Um, God is always faithful to us and there are no contradictions in the Bible. Um, So we can be assured the same thing for us, that God will remove our sins, wipe it clean from our record, never to be brought up again you know, for all of eternity. That when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus and we ask for forgiveness, that God makes, that, makes it very clear. And he proves it to us here in writing the book of Romans through Paul, using Paul to write it. These are God's word, that he does what he says he will do. Um, And I believe that God knew that it would be hard for us to believe that we could be forgiven for all of our sins. And that's why he makes it clear that it's recorded for our benefit too. That he recorded this for us. He wrote it down just the way he wanted it written down so that we could have faith, that we could believe that God truly will forgive us for our sins and remove them from our record, no matter what they are. So to continue on with this... And to look a little more at what what does Jesus say faith is what does Jesus say belief is and um, and a little bit about answered prayers because when we're asking for forgiveness we're praying to God asking God please forgive us so what does God say about all that and that's where we're going to take a look at today um, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21 verse 18. And we're going to go through quite a few verses again, so you don't have to go to all of them. They will be up on the screen. Um, But Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen you can pray for anything and if you have faith you will receive it so here the disciples get fascinated with jesus power over something tangible in this world Um, but don't get caught up in that that's not what this is about because we often get caught up in the same oh look at the power he had over this fig tree look at the power he had to do these things you know oh he's saying that i can do those same things i can have power over tangible things in this world but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that if you have enough faith and you don't doubt that you could pray for the Rocky Mountains to be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is speaking figuratively here, much like when Jesus talks about if your eye causes you to sin or your hand causes you to sin, remove them. He's not speaking of self-mutilation. Jesus is speaking of the severity in which we must remove sin from our lives. Know if alcohol causes you to sin, don't spend time with people that drink, and don't. And that could be removing yourself from lifelong friends, from from other things like that. Um, But Jesus was speaking metaphorically there when he talked about removing your eye or your hand from you if they cause you to sin, and he's speaking metaphorically here. He's not saying that you're literally going to pray for a mountain to to be thrown into the ocean. But I would say that metaphorically he's speaking about the mountains in our lives um, and that God can remove them when we ask. Now this, people also get caught up in this, oh, pray for anything and you'll receive it. Well, again, we went over this, that you can't just take one place in the Bible and make a doctrine out of it. Um, and, and kind of one example of that, and this is not in the notes And so it won't be up on the screen, but in Matthew chapter four, where Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he tempts him. And Satan, um, every time that Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus answers with God's word, with the scripture. No, the Bible says this. No, God's word says this. No, God's word says that. But one of the times that, that Satan tempts him, Satan uses God's word himself. It says, well, doesn't God's word say this? Um, That So in, in Matthew 4, verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt a foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So Jesus doesn't just look at the one verse. He looks at the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God, as we're to look. He gives us that example. So while Satan tried to take one place in the Bible and manipulate it for his glory, which we're never to do, and we're never to do the same either. We're never to take one verse and manipulate it for our glory. All glory is to go to God. All glory belongs to God. Um, So, I would say, to look further at this, you know, if you pray for anything and have faith, you will receive it. We're going to take a look at what James said in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Because um, remember, we're looking at the whole Bible. What does the whole Bible say about this? Not just one verse. We're not going to take it out of context. We want to see what does all of God's word say. Because God wrote the whole Bible. This is his word, from Genesis to Revelation. So James, chapter 4, verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't have ask God for it. Number one. And verse three, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So God explains here why some prayers aren't answered and why you don't get anything you ask for. When you pray for a million dollars, it doesn't show up on your doorstep you're praying with the wrong motives. You're praying for things that will pleasure you. And when we pray for things that are self-serving or that bring us pleasure, we are in the wrong mindset. And we don't get what we are praying for because our motives are all wrong. So now that we've established that, this isn't an an open-ended thing. Let's go look at some other times where Jesus tells us that he will give us anything we ask for because there are he is being truthful to His Word, but when we look at the whole Word, and He gives us a couple places that we'll kind of focus in on, He explains to us, um, in context, what that means. That we can get pray for anything and, and we'll receive it. So first, we're going to go to 1 John 5.13. Like I said, we're going to bounce through quite a few verses, and they're going to be up on the screen, because we are going to go back and forth between the New American Standard... Bible, the 2020 edition, and the New Living Translation. Um, So, here in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read out of the New American Standard Bible These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So, number one here, he is talking to believers. And when he brought this up with the fig tree, he was talking to his disciples who were believers. So that's number one. This promise isn't to the world. This promise is to his believers. Number two, when we ask for things that line up with God's will, then will he give us what we ask for. So we read that, that according to his will, when, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, so number one this is a prayer, this is a promise to believers. number two, it lines up with God's will. So I do want to go look at this just a little bit deeper and we're going to go to a couple of other places we're going to start in the Gospel of John and take a look um, at what Jesus said about this again you know, jesus, jesus in the Gospel of John we'll look and see. Jesus words for himself. Um, this is Jesus speaking of what we're going to what we're about to read. So, the first place we'll go is John, chapter 14, starting in verse 12. We're going to go back to the New Living Translation. Um, and this is Jesus speaking. So John 14:12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commands. So again, He's talking to believers. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. And then asking for things that will bring God glory, that requests that line up with God's will. We're always to bring God glory. All the glory is always God's. He owns it. It's, It's his. It's never ours. It's never ours to take. It's never ours to share in. All of the glory goes to God. So that's God's will for us to bring him glory. Um, And we can ask for anything in Jesus' name, and he will do it. That's what it says. But believers and lining up with God's will. Um, Now, I find it interesting here. We'll look here, and we'll look also in John chapter 15, and Jesus lays, lays out the same format. But verses 12 through 14 are a paragraph. And the way paragraphs work, that's an independent thought. But then starting the next paragraph, you know, if you love me, obey my commands. And he explains this further in 15, in chapter 15, which we're about to go to, but the same thing. He gives this promise that you can have anything you ask for when you're believers and it lines up with God's word, but then he reminds us that if we love him, obey his commands. And I think that that's important. Um, and I kind of wonder if, you know, the Bible wasn't originally written in paragraphs like we write it today, but I, I really do wonder If that thought there, if verse 15 should be part of the paragraph above it. But that's just a a side note. Something that that I think about. Um, So we're going to jump one chapter over to John chapter 15, verse 7. And this is again Jesus speaking. So, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. So again, he's talking to believers, remaining in Jesus and remaining in his word, the Bible, right? That's his word to us. We can ask for anything remaining in Jesus and remaining in the Bible, and we will get it. Then Jesus tells us to remain in his love, to, to abide in him, to abide in his love, <clears throat> and explains that remaining in his love means obeying his commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, and where are his commands found in his word and that may sound you know daunting and, and overarching thinking, oh, I have to obey the whole Bible, you know, what if I miss something that I do, I love Jesus, but I miss this this command here or I, I miss this or that well. God is so amazing that he sums it up in two commands for us. The whole, the whole law, everything we're supposed to obey, gets summed up in two commands. So this one I would turn to, because you should have this highlighted. It will be in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. And we're going to look at what Jesus says these commands are, um, and that we need to follow to show our love for Jesus. And it's amazing how they all connect. It's amazing. I always always find it fascinating how the whole bible connects we started in in romans chapter four and paul took us back to abraham and a look at his life and so we looked through that and and god himself uses the whole of the whole bible the old testament and the new testament together to to paint us like a 3d picture of of what he expects of us and what he'll do for us and how he's going to work in our lives so here, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. And we're going to be reading out the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 edition. So Matthew 22:34. 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus summed up the whole law and all the other the, the prophets wrote into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay? So, <clears throat> we have loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving ourselves when we follow those and we remain in those, we truly show that we love Jesus. We're obeying his commands. Cause he says that it's all summed up there. Um, and I do want to point out too. So like the reason that we're not reading this out of the new living translation is for somewhat of a minor thing, but, but where it says in verse 39, the second is like it. The second commandment is like it. Um, in the New Living Translation, it says the second commandment is equal to it. That's the that's the only difference. Um, but when I look at all the other translations and I look it up in the Greek, I read that "like" is more more the correct um, interpretation of the correct the correct translation. I guess I should say. So that's the only difference. So that's when we're bouncing back and forth, and you wonder why. Well, because. In this case, the New American Standard Bible lines up more with the Greek. That these commandments are not equal, but they're like each other. And the likeness is that you're to love. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. If you do that, you truly show that you love Jesus. So with that understanding, with the understanding that, that when we pray and we ask for anything as believers that lines up with God's will, And that when we love Jesus and we show that by obeying his commands and he summed up all the law and all that the prophets wrote in these two commands, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Um, Then we begin to understand um, more of what this means that we can pray for anything and to go back to to the mountains, you know, because remember, Jesus said you could move mountains. So I just want to go back real quick and read Matthew 21:21. So we've already been here. We've read through this. You know, this is where the Jesus has withered up the fig tree and the disciples are so amazed by that, that, oh, look what he can do. Look at this power he has over this tangible thing. So Matthew 21:21, then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. So that's where we started. Um, So we as believers can pray for anything that lines up with God's will and we will receive it. But maybe we have some big mountains in our lives, you know, And initially we think there's no way God can remove this mountain from our lives. Um, And there's many things that come to example. No way that we can be forgiven for this sin in our lives. Um, We've gone too far. No way that we can be reunited or um, at peace with our enemies. This enemy is far too big. This person hates me far too much. Um, There's, I think many mountains that God's speaking about here and, and they're, metaphorically speaking. There are mountains in our lives, things that we think just can't get over. This is too big for God, and he's showing us that it's not. It never is. He's always bigger than the mountains we're facing. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, um, and we're going to look at what God says about his promises. So God gives us many promises throughout the Bible. Um, There's a book that's written, you know, the promises of God. And and in that book, the author finds over 7,000 promises that God writes in his word. Um, So that's a lot of promises. There's also a lot of commands of how we're to live our life in the Bible. Things that we're to obey. So, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves, to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. God would never change his mind. Verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath these two things are unchangeable, because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore sorry. Therefore, we, who have fled to Him for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong. And trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the insert. The it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So here we read: God never changes His mind on our salvation. God never changes His mind if He will forgive our sins. God never changes His mind that He will wipe the sins from our record. God never changes His mind that he loves us so much he sacrificed his one and only son for us. Jesus never changes his mind that he loves us so much that he would willingly die on the cross for our sins. God gives us his promise and his oath. God cannot lie. God's hope is not like the worldly hope that we read about. It's not a hope, I hope I win the lottery. God's hope is a guarantee, and we see that here. That God's hope is a guarantee that we can have this great confidence that we can hold to the hope that lies before us. This great confidence, this guarantee that God is going to do what he says he is going to do. And remember, the hope that we have is not like the worldly hope, much like the peace that Jesus gives is not like the worldly peace, not like the peace that the world is searching for. The peace that the world is searching for is this absence of conflict and that's not what jesus talks about when he says i give you peace the peace jesus gives us is the peace to walk through the conflict to walk through the chaos with a sense of peace that's only explainable by his work in our lives so now we'll finish up here and we'll look at some of god's promises to us we're going to start we are gonna go through quite a few of them um so you don't have to well actually go through four of them so you don't have to go to them. they'll be up on the screen, but I will start in First John chapter one, verse 19. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just. To forgive us every time. So then, the next one we'll look at is Micah, chapter seven, verses eighteen and nineteen. So Micah seven eighteen and nineteen. Where is another God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of His special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. So God pardons his believers. God delights in showing us his unfailing, never-ending love God delights in showing us his unfailing, never-ending love. God removes our sins and throws them into the depths of the ocean, never to be brought up again. So the next one we'll look at is Psalm 103, verse 12. So Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Um, And why is it as far as the east is from the west and not the north is from the south? I would say to you, because you can measure the north to the south. There's two poles. You can't measure from the east to the west. It's unending. There's no measurement for it. It's a forgiveness, an infinite forgiveness, an infinite removing of your record, never being brought up again. Um, When God forgives our sins, he removes it. From our record. Just as we read today. That he removed it from Abraham's record. Um, This prayer. So we've talked about when we pray. When we ask God for anything. As believers that line up with his will. That he will grant it to us. And Jesus says. I guarantee it. Everything that you pray. That lines up with God's will. He will give to you. And how do we know what God's will is? Well, we can read his word. He tells us what his will is through his word. So when we pray this prayer of repentance and ask for forgiveness, it takes place one time, and that's it. And we we can confirm that. He confirms that to us here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when... Sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So that's a, a one time deal. You've asked for forgiveness one time. Jesus guarantees it. When you ask, as a believer, it lines up with God's word, He will do it. God, please forgive me for this sin. He forgives, guarantees it. You have that great, confident hope, that guarantee that He will do what He says He's going to do. And it's a one-time thing. You pray one time, ask him to forgive you for your sins, and he will do it. No more sacrifices are needed. No more sacrifice of prayer is needed. Um, this is not like when Jesus teaches us in the parable of the widow and the judge, that if you continue, she continues to ask the judge for, for a just ruling, and he, he finally gives it, and we're told that we're continually to pray. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's a one-time deal for our sins. One time we ask for forgiveness, done, sealed. never to be brought up again. Our record is wiped clean, like it never happened. Um, so some other things that, that God promises when we ask, He will grant us every time. When we ask God to help us to love our enemy, He grants us our request every time. When we ask God for wisdom, he grants us our request every time. When we ask God for God's will to be done in our lives, he grants us our request every time. And when we as believers pray and it lines up with God's will, God's word, God grants our request every time. When we ask God to forgive us of our sins, no matter what they are, he grants our request every time. The first time we ask, isn't our God awesome? And that is the end of our study. Do you have any questions? No, I just think it's really awesome because I feel like that's kind of... That's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why do you think it's so amazing. How do we end up here? You know, so we end up in chapter four and what is Paul pointing to? He's pointing to the forgiveness of Abraham. That, and, I, and I find it, and I really like him, because that forgiveness he says he always had faith, and it's like uh, in like, our minds are going, right, it's <laughs> yeah. like uh, it never happened. No, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. yep. And so our doubts, our unbelief, we can ask forgiveness for those, and it's wiped clean from our record. Now it doesn't. The Bible doesn't take us anywhere where we read specifically that Abraham asked God, "Forgive me for my doubt and unbelief." There, but you know, it's kind of like a like an algebra equation: two plus x equals six. Well, I, I know the answer, and I know part of what happened, and and I can logically conclude what the answer is: you know, two plus x equals six, x equals four. And and, and while Abraham sinned, and God says through his word, when we ask for forgiveness, he removes it from our record. And when we're reading the New Testament, it's not there. I'm going to conclude that Abraham asked for forgiveness for his sins. And God did what he said he would do. He removed it from his record. He cleared us of that. And it's really crazy. Because when I was talking to mom, I said, it's forgiven. It's the east, it's the west. I didn't know that was a... Oh, did I know no idea. <laughs> I didn't say <try laughs> it. Uh, when I was talking uh, did. not talk. didn't? I, I didn't realize that that was... I know I didn't. I mean I heard like the song and da da da. I didn't realize it was that's on his leg. Song. Yeah, huh? that's what's on his leg. I, yeah, I, didn't, tattoo, that's that's tattoo. I, I didn't realize it. I I just was I heard it and so I just said it. Well, oh. I, I thought you knew that's where. Why when you said it? No, I didn't. she said it <laughs> Oh yeah. Crazy? Oh yeah. Yes, I said to her. I said forgiveness is my. Oh, like, well, about all of this, <laughs> and I said so exactly that. Oh, yeah. And I said we need to go from today on. You know, I have to remind myself of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah but then I'm gonna like, like I need to elaborate on Hebrews ten seventeen through eighteen. That's what well, I like. Go for it. Yeah. Well, no, I just said. Have you, the we what? Well, let's go to it really mm-hmm. fast. Sit down. Because I'm like, oh, we will go soon, my dear. Okay. Don't you worry. We're going to jump and run. No. So then he says... He says and I had this highlighted, which is crazy, because yeah. then he says, I will never, ever remember their sins and lawless deeds. Yeah, awesome. And then, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. Yep, it's a one-time deal. So it's just crazy, because again, when you said that, then I go like right yes. to what he says. Like, well, yeah, which is crazy. I yes. have that highlighted. Like, we were praying... We did. We you know, prayed. As I mean, we, we were holding hands and I was just hard. saying Jesus' name over and over and over. And you kept saying, remember what that prayed over us? Yeah, remember when he prayed over us. and just." Yeah. It's still a walked away feeling. Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, no good. No, but I don't know why. Uh, so there's only two prayers that I, I know of that are a one-time deal. You pray once and it's done. One is the prayer of salvation. You pray that once and it's done. Yes. And the second is a prayer for forgiveness of sin. You know, whatever that sin is, you ask it once and it's done. Yep. Most other things, though, he tells us to continually ask for, um, like wisdom. You know, if you need wisdom, ask for it. He'll you know, give it to you abundantly. But it's not a one-time deal. You know, usually I pray that every day. God, please give me wisdom. The other thing I pray for every day is God, please give me patience. Please give me patience over and over again. I need you every minute of every day. Please give me patience. Because that's a big one. So most things we're to pray over and over and over again. But the two that I know of that we're not is one for salvation and two for forgiveness of our sins. And that's it. It's a one-time deal. And I think that's amazing. And he makes it clear here. The salvation, he makes it clear in other places. But here he makes it clear. There's no more need for more sacrifices of prayer. And that's what prayer is. It's sacrifice of our time to, to worship God, to, to come to him. We're in need of him. We don't need to we don't need to spend our time or sacrifice it more asking for forgiveness of sin because it was done. It was taken care of on the cross one time. Jesus didn't get crucified over and over and over again. It was a one-time deal for the forgiveness of our sins. And our, our prayer is a one-time thing and that he is does what he says he'll do 100% of the time. He forgives us for our sins every single time. And it's that once. why they say the blood of Jesus covers, covers. Takes away the sins, so it the It doesn't say covers, because. We well, have to go look that up. The animals that sacrifice was to cover the sins. Yep. And so, is it his that covered the sins and take away? The sins. Take away the sins. He so takes away the sins of the world. Because I've heard it say covered. Well, we can look up. We can do a study and see. Just, but I think but the difference is when we look at the whole, place. the whole council, all of God's word, the Old Testament. The sacrifice of the animals covered sins. It didn't remove the sins from the people. It covered the sins. And Jesus, when he died on the oh, cross, he yeah, takes yeah. away our sins. Yeah. So okay. it does. Yeah. In the, okay, in the old covenant. Yes. yes. The old covenant. It's covering. Yes. And now it's taken. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken. Yeah. I was. Thinking of it. I'm not, yeah. Are you freezing? I'm not really. Freezing. Oh, I thought I was like. Which is amazing because so I'm usually. No, like that. So let's so, jump in around. Do you have we any have a prayer requests? Yes, I've prayer. Mm-hmm. says the same. I think last week David, I don't know what happened but it just weighed on my heart pretty heavy. And I'm still pretty emotional about it. I'm not sure. I think, I think there's so much being said here that I wish and I pray in my heart that he could hear and see. Well, see Matthew, I send him uh, an email. He sends him an email. Good. Because my understanding and I know it was how we were raised, was that we can't be forgiven. And I never understood that. So. Oh yeah. There's a lot of misconceptions and that's what the the enemy tries to do. Take one part of the Bible oh, this is what you know, and twist it around. We saw where Jesus said, no, the Bible says this. When I look at the whole Bible, this is what it says. Oh yeah. No, I emailed Greg and David. They both get it. I don't know if they listen to it, but they get it. Okay, well let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you For this day, I thank you for this time to come together to worship you, to learn more about you, your will, your word, the plan and the purpose that you have in our lives, how you lead us, how you love us, how you guide us, how you provide for us, how you care for us. Lord, I ask you would watch over Matt and Sandy. I ask you would watch over Matt's needs. You bring healing to them, and so you would um, bring healing and comfort and guidance for Tim. Lord, I ask that you would bring comfort. Austin, to Joey and to Chris, that you would draw them close to you, bring them to come to know you. Lord, I ask that you would bring patience and wisdom and strength to Cherry and to to everyone in the family, that they can go through what they're going through, knowing that you're in control. That this mountain isn't too big for you to handle. Um, while we might not understand the timing or the ways, we know that your way your works is always perfect. Your timing is always perfect. Um, Lord, I ask that you would watch over David. You would bring peace to David. Bring David to come to know you. To receive you into his life. I ask that you would guide him. I ask you watch over Greg. You guide him also. And everyone else in the family. You would guide Leanne and Aaron and Julie and Randy. You would just bless them all. Lord, I ask you would watch over this fellowship here, watch over our community. Help us to receive you, to be a light and a witness to you when we leave here, all throughout the week. To love you, to spend time in your word and in prayer. Um, Lord, I ask that you would watch over the sheriff's department here, the police department, Elizabeth, and all the surrounding police departments and sheriff's departments around us. That you would protect them physically. You would also protect them spiritually, protect their families. And that you would draw them closer to you. Thank you for all you do in each of our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen.